Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Until the Orthodox Jewish All-Star Awards on Sunday, November 5th, I will be plugging this here every single week. This is your chance to come out to meet our All-Stars in person. This is your chance to come out and support the work that we are doing all year round. Our event will benefit Project Makom, which is an initiative of Jew in the City, which helps former and questioning Haredi Jews find their place in orthodoxy. These stories of ex-Hasidim in the news, the memoirs, we've seen them again and again. We are offering people in this community a chance to stay observant, a chance to connect with Judaism in a positive way. This is your chance to partner with us to come out to have an amazing time and to support the great work that we're doing. If you are a longtime listener to our show or have been following our work for the last 10 years, we did just celebrate our 10-year birthday. Um, our mission is to show the positive stories of the Orthodox community. Unfortunately, much of the world associates us with extremism, with negative stories, with covering up abuse, and the good stories um, generally go unreported. And that's because good people often like to stay under the radar. Good people often are humble and don't want to shout their stories from the rooftops. And so, um, unfortunately, we've noticed that even parts of the Orthodox community don't even have a feeling of how great we are and what our community does. And when I saw a story come across my Facebook feed a few weeks ago that there uh, was a man that lived, an Orthodox Jewish man, that had done something that um, Oscar Schindler had done, that had saved the same number of Jews as Oscar Schindler, but Steven Spielberg didn't make a movie about him. Um, in fact, this story is only just getting reported now. Um, I was so excited that we can bring this story here to you. Um, and his Jewish background wasn't so reported on in uh, the, the secular media outlets that wrote about it. But we are so excited to have his son-in-law, Israel Singer, um, who is the president of the Claims Conference. Um, they make material claims against Germany uh, from you know the reparations from the Holocaust. He also was the secretary general of the World Jewish Congress from 1991 to 2001. Mr. Singer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Allison. So if you could tell us a little bit about your uh, your father-in-law, Dr. Julius Kuhl. Where, where did his life begin? What was his life like before the war began uh, in terms of his education, his family, his Jewish upbringing? Dr. Kuhl uh, was born in a, uh, in a, in a town in uh, eastern Poland, uh, in Galicia. Uh, the name of the town was Sanok. It was one of the three cities that uh, the Lublina Rav was rabbi in. Uh, he, in fact, learned with the Lublina Rav in the early years of his life, uh, and uh, he uh, lost his father very young. His father was uh, uh, one of the people who died in the pandemic uh, after World War I, uh, when close to uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews, you know, just died uh, after the war, uh, along with uh, millions of others. Uh, he was left as a, an only child to a widowed mother, uh, wanted him to get a better education and a better life, uh, uh, and she sent him to uh, her her sister and her aunt, uh, who were living in Switzerland, uh, and uh, he would uh, learn in yeshiva there and possibly acquire a, uh, a better education and a better chance uh, in life than as, a, uh, as an orphan in, in Switzerland, in uh, Poland. And uh, indeed, uh, that is what happened, but uh, what happened in the interim was very, very difficult. You know, the typical story of the self-made man. Uh, he, uh, he went to uh, 
evening high school. He went to uh, uh, college uh, while he was uh, learning to be a shaykhit and then uh, learning to get smicha and uh, learning to, uh, uh, in yeshiva, to uh, uh, try and support himself while he was learning. He was a balkore in an old folk song where he was fortunate enough to be able to get the food that the old the Jewish old folks on where the people got the food uh, every Shabbos. Uh, uh, he had one suit, he had, uh, and he always uh, looked forward to one day being able to continue to help other people, not only himself, uh, with his education. And then uh, Germany invaded Poland in uh, September the 1st of, in fact, this is a very timely story, September the 1st, 1939. The Polish free government established a, a government outside of Poland. Uh, it, one of its headquarters was in Bern, Switzerland. Uh, the, here was Dr. Julius Kuhl, uh, a 23-year-old uh, uh, Ph.D., uh, only recently in political science and law, uh, and he was hired because they needed somebody who knew how to talk to Jews who were immigrants and who were coming to Switzerland and who were trying to come to Switzerland. And the Polish free government wanted the support of Jews as well. Uh, so uh, Dr. Kuhl became the consul for uh, Jewish and minority affairs in the uh, Bern uh, office. Uh, it was embassy, actually, of the Polish free government, and worked for Ambassador Ratosz, who was, who, who was the, uh, the representative of the Polish free government in Switzerland. And in that capacity, he was able to issue emergency visas and emergency passports to people who appeared at the border. And uh, he represented the Polish free government, which was headquartered in London, uh, through Ambassador Ratosz, who was his friend and his colleague, uh, and uh, he worked with him. Uh, he also worked with uh, the representative of the Vatican. Uh, the representative of the Vatican is a very famous man, who uh, uh, Archbishop Bernardini, who helped save many Jews. Dr. Kuhl worked closely with him. He was his, his chess partner every week uh, while they were going to school. Uh, he worked with uh, Archbishop Roncalli, who later became the Pope, Pope uh, John the Twenty-Third, uh, And indeed, he saved the Belzarebi among others, by getting them emergency passports to be able to go from uh, various places in Europe, Polish free government passports, to uh, Istanbul and from there on to Israel. Uh, the Do you know? He, in fact, wrote him a letter that they, he, he survived. He came out to Istanbul. It was the first letter he wrote thanking Dr. Kuhl. We have that as a family heirloom. Hmm. Do you know when um, he sort of put two and two together? Um, that he's in this position and that he can use this position to save lives, like meaning he didn't take the position in order to save lives. He was he was hired for another reason, just as a job. And then did he tell you what when or uh, what the yes, aha he moment did. was? He did, and in fact, the documents the documents bear that out. Uh, you know, the appetite grows with eating, as uh, it works in almost every profession. And you develop a certain talent, you get a certain opportunity. And it really kind of smacks you in the face, and when you see it for the first time, you do it, and the second time, you teach someone else to help you do it. And uh, well, that's exactly what happened. He, he was confronted by this lady uh, who was his friend. Uh, her husband was his uh, colleague in Dabening and Shul, and Mr. Sternbuch was uh, truly a heroine. He, in fact, uh, had the book written about her, which made her famous. It's called The Heroine of Rescue. Uh, it's a, uh, a Masora book uh, for children in school as an education as to what a person might be able to do for mm -hmm. their life. She was a, a woman who had her hair covered. She was the daughter of the chief rabbi of, 
of Belgium. Uh, she she came to Switzerland when she got married to uh, Yitzhak Sternbuch, and, uh, and and she became in, indeed a person who bothered everyone who would listen uh, to try and help save particularly Jewish children who came to the border as uh, as, as uh, immigrants to Switzerland, and the Swiss government didn't want to let anyone in, to be very frank. The Swiss mm-hmm. government had a policy, and that policy was clearly announced and pronounced by the Minister of Interior of Switzerland, who remains certainly something less than a hero of the Jew, of the for the Jewish people uh, his uh, his famous statement was the boat is full uh, that was uh, minister rotmund r o t h m u n d was a uh, a horrific person uh, there were many likes of him in many other countries in fact uh, uh, there were Jews who uh, i remember uh, Looking at our own files in the World Jewish Congress, there were Jews who, who appealed to 126 countries who had two PhDs and were rejected from every single country. Hmm. Dr. Kuhl realized uh, that, you know, he couldn't say millions. Uh, there were no millions. The Polish free government had, uh, had a limited number of emergency passports that he had to write that it got from the Swiss government for whatever reason, uh, along with, you know, other uh, violinists and, uh, and uh, former members of parliament and the former human rights activists in in Poland uh, that needed to be saved were some Jews were allowed to be saved as well uh and suddenly Dr. Kuhl was was just following the lead of Mr. Sternbuch who saw children without parents standing at the snow-covered peaks of the border between Germany and uh, Austria Germany and uh, and Switzerland and she decided that this young man who was dominating in her shul was going to become uh, her vehicle for saving Jews, and she drove him crazy. Uh, an interesting <laughs> story, a moving story, was a story of her own son's bar mitzvah. She fled from her own son's bar mitzvah into her car, dragged Dr. Kuhl with her, who was a guest at that bar mitzvah, on Shabbos, this lady, who was the daughter of the chief rabbi of Belgium, uh, Rabbi Rottenberg, a very famous family, Mrs. Sternbuch, drove the car to the border at uh, uh, Germany, and they dragged three kids from the hands of the Gestapo into Switzerland, took them and fed them at the Bar Mitzvah. They became guests at the Bar Mitzvah. She had missed half of her own sons. Bar Mitzvah mm. to save these three kids. Now, there were stories like this every day. She used to come to his office, wait outside, lie in wait for him, and uh, she got him to go back after the lights were closed and to take out Two new passports, five new passports. It's estimated that uh, by Polish documents that we had close to thousands of people that were saved this way, uh, mm. because the passports began to be a multiplier effect uh, for themselves, and uh, uh, there were ways of getting passports from other countries uh, as a colleague, which Dr. Kuhl uh, became proficient at. One of the examples is, of course, emergency Vatican. Uh, documents that he got. He got emergency mm-hmm. documents from Central American and Latin American countries where Jews didn't apply. Mm-hmm. And uh, suddenly there was a whole network of people working, uh, trying to get people uh, out. Uh, we're talking numbers that really are not uh, vast, to be frank. And again, Schindler, you know, is the hero with having saved only 1,600 Jews. I would, I would assume that Dr. Kuhl probably participated in saving more than that. But Mm. Uh, the interesting thing is that he did so uh, as a person who uh, got a job by incident, mm-hmm. used the incident mm-hmm. to turn history on its head, mm. but only 
for as many people as uh, he could. And uh, the facts are that he always told me that had he had the opportunity, he would have been overwhelmed had he could have saved so many more people. But he was a young, unimportant diplomat, assistant diplomat, as he said, uh, who didn't realize that he could accomplish what he did. Hmm. It was only other people who gave him the, 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 the tremendous drive to be able to do what he did by pushing him. And he allowed himself to be pushed and eventually started pushing other people and uh, did succeed in a limited way uh, to do what so many other people should have done who were comfortable. And I want to tell you he never criticized others who didn't do enough, but it's my pleasure to do that at this time. It's my pleasure to tell you that millions of Jews and non-Jews outside of Germany uh, were relatively silent and stood mm-hmm. by while evil was taking place. Uh, he was a person who, uh, who didn't stand silent, but uh, who helped to make the world better. Uh, and endangered what, what, himself what? by doing so, because he was a foreigner. Let's not kid, him, it, let's not kid ourselves. This was uh, not, not the wealthy Dr. Kuhl later on who was in the real estate business. This was a poor Julius Kuhl who was a student in, uh, in, Paul, in Switzerland uh, with a temporary visa who suddenly got a visa as a consul working for a Polish free government, uh, but uh, he could have had that re- remanded at any moment. And indeed, at the end of the war, when the communists took over Poland, Dr. Kuhl became the same kind of stateless person that he was helping save. But it was wow. no longer the period of the Nazis. And he had to leave Switzerland, and that's why he came to Canada. So what were the... Um, what were the pop- Pardon? Oh, yeah, what were the possible punishments he could have faced by doing this? I just want to sort of wrap my head around. The best thing they could have done to him, uh, if Rotmund would have uh, um, been pleased to do so, would have been to ask uh, um, the ambassador to fire him because he was going outside of his uh, narrow area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that possibility always existed, and uh, he knew that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The chances that... uh, Mr. Ladosh, that Ambassador Ladosh, who was his friend and who was really a wonderful person, and our family helped make him one of the Hasidei Omos Olam at uh, Yad Vashem. I was the vice chair, the co-chairman of the Yad Vashem uh, with uh, uh, Eli Wiesel, and we, we got him to be one of the, uh, the, the, the many uh, non-Jews who, who saved Jews through their efforts. Uh, Dr. Kuhl tried to get that done and was very proud that he helped get it done because Ladosh was uh, courageous. Uh, he could have been tossed as well by the Swiss. Mm-hmm. They could have said he's persona non grata. That's what happens in the diplomatic world. I mean, you, you, particularly when you're not representing a living country, but you're representing a country in exile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, when exactly did this to a, to a temporary ambassador of a non-existent country in a mean country that didn't want to let Jews in. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not a particularly powerful position. And yet right. he took chances. And what, when did the, um, I guess, the passport scheming, um, when and how did it end? It ended uh, at the end of the war. It went straight through to the end of the war. And, in fact, even after the war ended, until the Polish free government was uh, uh, dissembled and uh, dismantled, uh, Dr. Cole continued to try to get people who were ill, uh, tubercular victims and uh, other kinds of uh, uh, emergency cases of the people who were survivors to get into Switzerland. He tried to give them Polish papers to get in. So this was continuing until Dr. Gull himself became a uh, uh, a nun 
welcome person in Switzerland then had to pack up and get out himself because the Swiss, you know, aren't particularly kindly to persons who aren't coming to deposit money in their banks to buy their cuckoo clocks or eat their Swiss cheese. That's what they like. They like people who come to spend money. They still that way, by the way. <laughs> How much did each passport cost? I was not popular, was... I might add, in Switzerland <laughs> for saying such things about them. Uh, as a person, I, I, I felt an obligation to continue to tell people that neutrality in the face of evil is almost participation. Right. So, I mean, the, the Gemara says, that when you remain silent, you're in agreement. Um, when you see how much evil and you don't do anything to stop it, you're helping it happen. And Dr. Kuhl didn't. Now, that is a remarkable thing. Although, you know, if you want to look at it carefully, you know, a lot of other diplomats should have done it. And a few others to help him. Not Why wasn't this... Yeah. Why wasn't the story told until now? Um, I'm saying, like I said at the beginning, we have a movie made about Schindler um, that, I mean, I think is probably one of the biggest Holocaust movies ever made. And the story about your father-in-law is just coming out now, and he already passed away over 20 years ago. So why did the story it, never get told? He didn't push it himself while he was alive. Uh, in fact, to be very frank, uh, he pushed the story about Mrs. For the from community to know that there were actually from people who were doing wonderful things, saving people. Uh, so, truth be told, number one, he wasn't very good at his own PR. Number two, he was somewhat modest. Uh, and uh, number three, he was busy re-establishing his life. I mean, he came to uh, the United to the United States first for a few days, and then moved on to Canada, where he got a temporary visa. Uh, and became a salesman of watches from a Jewish company in Switzerland to Canada. That's not the kind of material that, he, and he, you know, he wasn't a public person by nature. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, when he started building small houses and then larger buildings, uh, he became enveloped in his new life. Mm -hmm. uh, he built yeshivot in every place uh, in which he lived. Uh, he was a... Uh, um, a founder of uh, yeshivas, and of, uh, he, he kind of didn't turn his back on what he did during the war. He just decided that it's time to build now. One of the great stories about him is that uh, when, uh, you may know that in, in Malot in, in 1971, there were uh, 83 children captured by uh, terrorists. Uh, he flew to Israel, mm -hmm. and uh, he offered to pay a ransom for these people, and then they were let out finally after many of them were killed, and he went to see their families, and he gave them money uh, to help uh, the ones who were wounded. Uh, he participated in many, many positive activities during his life, but he kind of looked forward as opposed to backward. He wasn't one of these people who believed that, you know, uh, education about the Holocaust, you know, is a, a useful thing. He believed that uh, education in general is more useful and that we make a greater, uh, uh, I think you could say, uh, stamp on the world by building the world positively as opposed to looking back uh, uh, with anger and rancor. He wasn't that type of person. He may have been wrong about that. He might have told the story, and it might have been useful, and might have made other heroes in later periods. <laughs> Each person is, is uh, their own personality. Uh, despite the fact that he had a doctorate, you know, he wasn't the person who wrote books. He wasn't the person who wrote, uh, who made speeches. He, he was uh, kind of a quiet fellow, as he used to mm -hmm. describe himself. Mm -hmm. And what about uh, his children and grandchildren? His story he, he, he needs shared to be told. Mm -hmm. Yes? Oh, so did, 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 I know you said that he didn't sort of tell the story um, in big speeches at podiums, but he did share the stories with the children and grandchildren, yes? 
He did. He wrote a book for uh, our family, mm-hmm. and he wanted his grandchildren to know where he came from and where they came from. And it's a tremendously useful thing that even those who are kind of camera shy or book shy uh, should write. And uh, it was mm-hmm. one of the great projects that I think uh, Spielberg and the Spielberg Foundation established. And I might say that, you know, I helped establish the same kind of foundation at Yad Vashem, where we almost fund almost every book of a Holocaust survivor uh, written by themselves and self-published them uh, mm-hmm. for uh, families and for uh, the several hundreds of people so that eventually they will all be digitized and online so that mm-hmm. everyone can read about people who did things or many people don't want things to be written about themselves because they didn't do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not everybody who was saved was a hero. and Not everybody who stayed alive had a story which they want. And you probably know as well as I do that uh, many people um, were embarrassed that they survived and other people didn't, and that was really wrong, but uh, you can't help mm. the way people feel. And other mm. people were uh, kind of guilty that their parents or their sisters died and uh, they stayed alive. Elie Wiesel describes that himself in his own book at night, you know, that he ate the last piece of bread and his father didn't. And mm. he bunked right under him and his father died. Uh, I, th- I knew Elie Wiesel well, and it, it, it chased him his whole life. Mm-hmm. It, it drove him mad, as he described in many of the books that he wrote about. But nevertheless, uh, the people who have good stories should certainly tell them. The people who have stories in which they helped other people should certainly tell them. If not to the world, to their own families, and later on they'll be digitized. There are vehicles today to digitize uh, these stories, and Yad Vashem is doing that and has funding to do it. And I believe that it is truly a necessity for us to find out that not all six million people went to their deaths in mm-hmm. sheep to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. the numbers that didn't are, unfortunately, not very large. Those thousands should tell their story. And there are thousands who saved one, two, five hundred, a thousand people. There were people who saved people in an entire camp by refusing to march in one direction when one fellow with a gun was driving the people that way. And there were others who just listened. I mean, there were people who were more, uh, uh, I would say, uh, polite to the Nazis or afraid of them. Uh, Dr. Kuhl was one of the people who didn't listen. Uh, And I have great respect uh, for him, and uh, I believe that he changed my life and got me involved in a lot of things that I might not have gotten involved in. And I'm sure it'll get my children and grandchildren, and they already did, involved in many things that they do. Being silent is not a position. Uh, have you, has your family else. met any of the people that your father-in-law saved? Of course. The great story, that I, I wasn't making, uh, trying to personalize this, but the great story is that my wife went to uh, Yeshiva University High School, Central, and she walked in one day, and uh, her teacher was uh, a man named uh, Dr. Steiff, uh, who uh, was uh, one of the people who... Dr. Kuhl gave a passport to uh, in Switzerland. And uh, he asked her, your name is Evelyn Kuhl. Are you related to Julius Kuhl? And she said, yeah, I'm his daughter. And she said, well, your father saved my life. Tomorrow I'm going to lecture the class on the part that I wasn't planning to do this early in the semester by bringing in my passport. And he brought Mm -hmm. the passport in with Julius Kuhl's signature on it. And he was the owner of an art gallery and a a teacher in in, uh, in, uh, Yeshiva University, high school for boys and girls and he he was saved now we we have many stories like that uh, as you can imagine we we bump into people whose grandchildren thank us 
Uh, but uh, we we kind of take it. Uh, we haven't collected their names, and we haven't done a. Uh, but we we have documents, and the documents have been given to the American Jewish Historical Society as well as to Yad Vashem, the ones we have, and uh, we believe that this belongs to the general history of the Jewish people. And why, this is my final question, we only have a few minutes left, and this is really fascinating. I should have sure. brought you on for a double interview. Um, why did the story come out now? It was quiet for so many because years. Because the Polish How- government now opened their files, mm-hmm. and the editor of the Globe and Mail saw that the person who was being referred to was a person who went from Switzerland as the Polish free consul, free government's consul in Bern, went to Canada, and then... He followed up where to Canada, and he saw he came to Toronto, and he went to the shul to Viewmount, where where uh, some of Dr. Cool's gr- uh, grandchildren and children daven, and he checked is there anyone who knew a man named Dr. Cool, hmm. and they said yeah he built this building. It's one of great things he he built the building and he built the yeshiva around it. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, my God, you know, and they called uh, my brother-in-law, and this guy was in Russia. I was in Russia at that t- same time. I'm, I, I was teaching this summer in, in Moscow uh, at the Turo College in Moscow, so they, uh, they, he called me, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was remarkable. So we met, and uh, he was going for an early interview because these documents were just released, the new documents. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there are other Julius uh, the schools out there? Year. Pardon? Do you think that there are other Julius Cools out there, the documents that were just um, shut away? I have no doubt. I have no doubt that there are other Julius Cools out there, and I have no doubt that, unfortunately, many of the witnesses and many of the participants in saving those witnesses, uh, for whatever reason, didn't tell their stories, and that's a terrible thing. My message for you today is if you're children of heroes, children of people you think did good things, Write those stories for your own children. Write those stories for someone because someday they might be read by someone and give that person courage to behave differently in a better way in the generation to come. Amazing. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story today. I mean, this is exactly what we want to do to show people coming from a place of Jewish values. I mean, he was obviously his uh, lessons of don't stand idly by your neighbor's blood that he had learned in yeshiva growing up observant right. um, spoke to him in a real way. And he uh, took the moment that he had the time and the place and saw it not as a, a coincidence, but as a, a moment to act. Um, and that should really be what, what we're doing here at, as Jews that live by Torah laws, to take these teachings and when we have opportunities to make a difference, um, to go out there and uh, and to try. So thank you so much for uh, continuing. Thank to you, Alison. You're doing a great job. Thank you very much. Okay, all the best. Um, and thank you for, for uh, listening this week. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.